Welcome to That's Marketing Baby, the weekly show where two marketing besties talk all things marketing in the world of B2B and B2C. I'm your co-host, Susan Winograd, and I've spent over 20 years in marketing focusing on paid media and email marketing. And I'm Jess Cook, copywriter and creative director turned content marketer. Every week, we'll tackle a topic that's on our minds and hopefully yours too. Ready? Let's go. That's Marketing Baby is brought to you by Aircule. Aircule is an agency that helps small content teams get control of their SEO, analytics, and content strategy. Susan and I have both worked with the Aircule team. They're amazing. They're super smart, and their free app, Atimo, tells you what content is performing, what isn't, and what to work on next. My favorite feature are knowing what pages are my wallflowers. These are pages with good engagement that aren't getting much traffic. Then I can figure out what to do next. Check it out at Ottimo.cool. That's O-T-T-I-M-O dot C-O-O-L. And now on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode, episode three of That's Marketing Baby. I'm Jess Cook and I'm here with my incredible co-host, Susan Winograd. Hello, we made it to episode three. We made it to episode three. It's actually a thing. We're being consistent. Yes. (laughs) And funny story. Can I tell them? I'm just going to tell them what happened. Yeah. We tried to record this last week. And it was so good. That's what pisses me off. (laughs) It was was so good. good. And we got about, what, 25 minutes in and realized we actually hadn't hit record. We were just so excited to talk to each other. That's what it was. I'm going to blame it on that. So here we are, round two. We're going to make it even better. We've had a dry run at this point. And uh, we're back. So, you know, we're persistent, consistent, whatever. All the assistants. All the assistants. <laughs> All the assistants. What we're talking about today is the marketing metrics that matter. Because we're in this like day and age where you can measure literally everything. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. And there are definitely metrics that you are really, really going to want to keep your pulse on, your finger on. And some that might just raise more questions or, you know, lead you down the wrong path. And so Susan and I have come together today prepared, each of us, with three metrics that we are really going to be focused on for 2023 and wanted to share with you all as well. Yes. I think the other thing too is there's, because there are all those metrics, some of them don't work in harmony with each other. And I think that that throws a lot of companies off where they're like, well, our click-through rate was so low, but our submission quality was so high. How do we get the click-through rate higher? And it's kind of like, well, but it's a very small audience you're going after. So you may never have a very high click-through rate because you really only want that small subset of them, right? So there's sometimes there's metrics that are mutually exclusive to each other. And I think that gets gets hard for marketers too. Yeah. And and in the case of the example you just gave, like, okay, great. We get our click-through rate up, but now the quality has gone down because we have more clicks, but not necessarily the right ones. Right. So yeah, exactly. They're kind of, I don't know, what's that called? They're counter something. Counterintuitive? No. 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 We're marketers. We should know these. I know. (laughs) They work against each other or something. Yes. Anyway. (laughs) There's a fancy word for it. Yeah. There's someone right in. Tell us what it is. It's a Monday afternoon. Give us a break. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So we have then six marketing metrics we want to share with you. Do you want to go first? You want me to go first? You can go first. And I think it's worth noting that once again, we have not shared these with each other. So I mean, we went through them in the one that we didn't record, but honestly, that was a week and a half ago now. And I don't remember. So it's (laughs) all new to me. It's all new to me. We didn't really cheat. I still don't recall what yours were. So this is good. 
<laughs> so once again, we have not shared them with each other. So I'm gonna have you, I'm gonna say you go first. Okay. All right. So my first one. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie here. I have two that don't really have a real name. They're either made up by me or they are a thing, but they don't have a name. And the first one kind of falls in that category where it's like, it's definitely a thing, but I don't think it has like an official name. And that is kind of like the content that your audience lands on most often right before they hit book a demo or start a free trial, right? So Mm -hmm. what is that? Like the second to last, (laughs) second to last stop on the train. The catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the conversion catalyst. The I don't conversion know. Catalyst? Anything that sounds conversion very... catalyst content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Though, there you mm-hmm. go. See? There we go. The, the triple C. I like that. <laughs> so again, this is like the blog post or the landing page or you know, the download that everyone hits. Not everyone, that a good majority of the audience that converts is gravitated to or engages with. And I think this is really important because if you know that you can exploit it, right? If you know that, hey, I have this blog post about, you know, ROI, or I have, you know, this really, this kind of interactive calculator thing that we've built that's really, really popular. And more often than not, people leave there, go right to book a demo or start a free trial. And so you can then take that tool or that blog post and you can distribute it as much as possible. So throw it in your newsletter, post it in social, make sure, you know, maybe you're putting some ad spend behind it and you're driving to it that way. You are maybe talking about that topic in a podcast and then in the show notes, you're dropping that link in, right? Like find as many ways as you possibly can to get people on that page because you know that one of the top next destinations is a demo or free trial, you're converting them to become a customer, uh, hopefully. So that feels like a really powerful piece of knowledge that I want to keep my eye on this year. I like that one. Yeah. That's a good one. Thanks. So my first one, and I think this has become more prevalent as we've gotten into muddier targeting and privacy stuff on the media side, but we have this thing that I've started calling the quality question. And so this metric is kind of a conversion-related metric, but one of the things that I run into a lot with B2B SaaS is they collect leads and they build their database, but they don't really vet whether they're a good fit until it gets to the point that a salesperson's on the phone with them. So there's not really anything in the beginning to help them understand as we're getting these people into our database where yes, ultimately their goal is to have them, you know, book a demo with the salesperson, but it's helpful to know who they are before that. And you and I had built this into what we've done before, where you have to come up with that one question that is a very easy yes or no, that someone can just easily answer as they're filling out your lead gen form that doesn't create a lot of friction. It takes them no thought to answer, but it tells you volumes about what your media is actually doing. So for some places, it may be, you know, how much are you spending in media per month? It may be how many URLs does your site have? How many products does your store carry? Whatever those things are, most B2B SaaS companies, they know what those cutoffs are. They're like, oh, you know, ours are good for any site that has over 100,000 pages or whatever it is, right? So knowing that question, if you start building that into every lead gen form that you have, you start learning a lot about 
what the quality is like and the mechanisms that are driving to those lead forms, who is it reaching? So one of the things I tell a lot of B2B SaaS companies is if they're getting a lot of direct or branded search and they're getting lead gen forms from that, knowing what proportion of them hit that qualified bucket versus not will tell you a lot about what your marketing is doing out there. Because if you're getting tons of people that aren't qualified, they're seeing your marketing messages everywhere and they're feeling like they're probably qualified. So it's like you're putting something out there that isn't working quite right. And then same thing on the media side. It's like if you have a certain targeting thing and you're running lead gen forms on LinkedIn or Facebook and you're getting a really low proportion of what you would consider to be qualified submissions, then you kind of know, okay, this is not a high enough percentage or the cost for them is too high. So like I'll take that that quality question and it'll apply to, you know, okay, we got a hundred leads. What percentage of them were actually qualified good leads? And based on that, how much is it actually costing us to drive a real lead for a future potential customer? So it's kind of like just sorting out, panning for gold in there to figure out what is the actual usable audience that we're getting from this and then backing that into all your metrics. So you're not getting, you know, false comfort by being like, oh, we're getting $12 leads. And it's like, great. None of them are actually people you'd ever sign up for what you have. So it kind of keeps you honest about what all your external efforts are doing. I love the reverse engineer of that, right? Where you're like, clearly what I think I'm saying to bring in this audience is actually bringing in this other audience. Mm -hmm. So like, I need to go out and I need to talk to this actual audience somehow to understand like, what do they care about that I'm not talking about? How do they speak? And what am I not saying that would Mm -hmm. be something they say, right? Like, I think that really comes down to understanding who you're talking to and just making sure that you can absorb as much of, you know, kind of their mindset mm-hmm. and talking to them as possible to make sure that like you are hitting all of those. And there's uh, good advice on that in, in our last episode, actually. So if you've not listened to episode two, we have a whole episode on where to get your marketing input from that goes absolutely. goes down the rabbit hole on some of that stuff. All right. My second one is... This is not made up. This is a real thing. You can find it in Google Analytics. (laughs) This is a real thing. Something I really want to keep an eye on this year are branded search clicks. I love that one. You know, that makes my heart happy. (laughs) I know you and your SEO background. Here's why. So I think this year is going to be the year where we're going to see a lot of companies try to do as much as they can organically as possible because Mm -hmm. we're not going to have the budgets we did. We are going to have to really test and prove things before we can get budget to really scale, right? There's just a lot of this uncertainty and we kind of have to make sure that we're doing our due diligence before we go off and spend on an idea. And so I think with that, we're going to see a lot of people using organic to, you know, try maybe some bold ideas, get their name out there more often, choose one or two social channels and really double down on them, pick a few narratives and really kind of try and play in all these areas. And I think what that will hopefully do if you're doing that right is like, more people are going to know who you are, more people are going to come in and be an organic follower, more people are going to, you know, pick up on the content that you're publishing and distributing. And in doing so, like, you should then, right, have a larger group of people who know your name, and therefore should have a larger group of people who are searching for you, and higher intent on those people who are clicking through and going to the site. And so I think that is just going to be a nice little, like, 
almost cheap brand study, if you will, to kind of watch, like, are we putting out a message to the market that is resonating with people and people are remembering who we are? And they're, you know, that kind of level of awareness is growing at a steady rate this year. So I think that's going to be a really important one to watch, especially when, you know, we have smaller budgets, when we're trying to do more with less. That's going to be a really, really good one to watch, to know that, like, what you're doing, people are digging it. They're, yeah. they're digging what you're putting down. I think that's that also kind of plays in well too to one of the strengths that that you have that I've learned a lot from is just the ability to be able to create several different things with one thing, right? I feel like that's where a lot of companies, it's a mindset shift where it's kind of like, a lot of companies would look at it and say, oh God, we're gonna have to come up with like eight different things and see what works and you're really good about being like, no, you make one thing and then you turn it into eight, but you don't have to make eight completely different things, right? So I think that yeah. there's on the, that kind of organic, whether it's search or social or any of that stuff, I think that sometimes that lift feels very heavy to companies. So the ability to get more efficient about that is crucial to making that work. 100%. That actually leads perfectly into my second measurement thing. This probably sounds kind of basic for marketing, but I'm really shocked by how few companies do this that I work with is measuring the performance of the different hook types that you use. So, mm. so many places it's like, I find, you know, I look at their advertising, they'll be like, can, can you audit what we have? I, you know, take a look. And it's like, they just go all in on one thing. It's like, they're always running video or they're always running white paper downloads. Like they don't mix it up very much. And so at some point they've been convinced that this is the way they have to do it. And it's, I don't fault them for it because it's like, everyone's like, everything has to be video. You have to always run video. There's all this pressure, but video is good for certain things. It's not really great for other things, but those nuances are, you know, when you're doing 50 million other things at a startup, you don't really have time to delve into those nuances. So I think one of the things to measure is not, not just like the granularity. I feel like a, a lot of companies do that. Like we ran it with this headline and this headline didn't do as well. And I'm like, you need to pull back further from that and say, should we even be doing it in this format? Like, I don't think that people really examine their format enough at this point. It's kind of like, well, we invested all this money in making these videos. So this is what we tested. It's like, but you might not have even should have done video to begin with. You know what I mean? So I kind of feel like the way that you're hooking the people is is a big deal. But I think Related to that, it kind of goes back to that quality question too. Like this needs to be used in conjunction with my first one. You know, if you, let's say you're like, okay, we're going to run, we're going to test webinars. All right. Like don't even worry about what the subject is, but like just produce three of them, see what they do. What's happening with the registrants? Again, if you bury that quality question into these media hooks you're using, what are you getting when you do that? Are you finding that like the people that come to the webinars are all do-it-yourselfers that are desperate to learn to do something on their own? Are you finding that when you do case studies, you're getting your ideal client because the case studies deal with clients of their size? I don't think that there's enough alignment between those two things very often. It's kind of like they promote and run media against what they've created, right? And they don't yeah. necessarily, they kind of judge the quality on like how high was the click through and, you know, and we didn't get any leads directly off it, which you know how I feel about that. Like, <laughs> don't get me started on that. But it's like, there's not enough examination of what they're getting beyond just the obvious metrics. So I feel like the type of format and what it is you're talking about, those two things coupled with the quality question, those, I mean, I feel like that gets you more than 50% better 
at what you're yeah. doing in media if you do those two things. I mean, you and I definitely have experienced that where it's like, yep. once we had those two things, that was when the results started to get so much better because we could reliably know what we had to produce. We tested things that didn't work. We tested things that did. And what was funny is it was like the lowest lift one was the one that always did best for us. So it's like, can you imagine how much we would have spun our wheels trying to create 50 million videos and all this other stuff when in reality, it was this like super simple, hilarious, static memes that did fantastic for us. Yeah. And they were not a heavy lift at all. But we also built in the quality question, right? So we kind of had that whole mechanism going to figure that out. Yeah. And without that, it's like, you might think the one that's working best because you're getting, you know, tons of clicks or whatever, but then like you see the quality of it, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, well, these were all people who, you know, aren't act, they don't actually even have, let's say the money to buy this product, right? They're not even, this is more of an investment type product. This isn't like a, you know, $20 a month subscription. Yep. And so like, yeah, I think you have to understand like not only are people engaging in the hook, but it's the right people that are engaging in the hook. So yeah, yeah I like that you had like kind of a one-two mm -hmm. combo. Yeah, those those two things will clean up your effort a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work at first and then it saves you a lot of effort on the back yeah. end. Yeah, for sure. Okay, my third one, and I think this is funny because you were talking about repurposing a little bit earlier and like how you don't have to create eight unique things. You can create one. I say this. I still struggle with it. You're <laughs> like, that's like your superpower that I'm always in awe of. I'm like, how does she do that? It's like I could sit with something for an hour and go, I don't know how to make this two other things. And then I could share it with you. You're like, oh, just do this. This is I'm like, damn it. How does she do that? You know, I used to also be able to see those magic eye things. And I feel yeah. like... <laughs> Maybe it's the those. same. I'm dating myself. Some of you no, are going to know what that I is. I remember okay. those. All right. Thank you. Okay. So here's my third one. And it has very much to do with repurposing. Again, another made up. Okay. I can't actually say it's made up. So I don't actually know if it has a real moniker, but I first heard this from a man named Jonathan Bland. He is the co-founder of a place called OmniLab Consulting. They, super smart guy, I heard him speak at a conference once, and he was the one who kind of brought this to my attention. And so I'm definitely going to focus on this in the coming year, if not even further down the road, because I just think this is going to be the way of the world in content marketing for a while. So let me get to it. I am calling it, I wrote this down, the repurposing multiplier. Mm. And what this means to me is, let's say you have a podcast, right? And you record the podcast. Hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically, <laughs> you have this like weird podcast. You record it, right? And you drop the episode on, you know, the podcast platforms. You put the full video maybe on YouTube, right? Let's say, you know, 11 people listen to the podcast and seven of them, you know, watch the full video. But then let's say you cut that up and do some audio clips. You find um, some really great kind of video clips you can post. You can drop it in your newsletter. You can share it in social. Um, you can get the, the hosts of the podcast to then like share it on their personal pages, right? You are now multiplying the impressions and the reach that that original piece of content got you. And when Susan and I were at our previous company, we were able to get like a 16x multiplier on, you know, from people actually watching the full, watching or listening the to the full version of the podcast past uh -huh, podcast <laughs> episode. <laughs> versus people watching a clip or reading about it in the newsletter, right? Like we distribute it in all of these different places so that we're getting 
many more eyeballs on smaller parts and pieces. And they're still learning something. They're still getting value out of it. But I didn't have to create anything new. I had plenty there to work with. And I'm now getting so much more ROI on that, you know, however many, you know, minutes and hours I spent to record edit and distribute, right? And so I think that's just going to be a really nice kind of efficient way people can use their content this year. And the same goes for written content as well. You can take a blog post, you can take a guide and you can pull out chunks of that and share it everywhere. And again, still have that multiplier effect. So, you know, I don't really know what a good benchmark is because (laughs) it's made up, you know, 16X felt pretty good. I'd like to kind of see like where that goes this year for us at Lasso and like, how can we try to almost make that a KPI for ourselves of like, yeah. okay, this quarter we want to hit this benchmark that we've set for ourselves of 10X, 20X, whatever that is. I think the other part of that too is that it's not even only putting it on different platforms so people see it. I think it's also the fact that it's being cut up into different formats just appeals to more yes. people. You know, it's yes. like we're both moms, right? So watching video is difficult for me. Like I'll, yes. you'll, <laughs> Jess knows what when when Sadie isn't around because I catch up on TikTok and I text her all the great ones that I know that we that she would just laugh her, her ass off about. So it's like I'll have like a 10 to 15 minute TikTok thing a day, but like Sadie's not around right. <laughs> to hear any of that because she doesn't need to learn those words just yet. So yeah. video is not very conducive for my lifestyle, you know, just the way, and I, I've always been a reader. I just, I'm a sponge with reading. I read very quickly and I'm also very visual. So having a talking head talking about something doesn't really help me. If it's going to be a video, it needs to be like a how-to that walks me through it. That's the only way it's going to make sense to me. Otherwise I need to read it. So I think that's also, you know, a good, a good use of that is that it's not just about the different platforms it's on that reaches people that don't follow you everywhere. It's just also about user preference about how they want to consume it. Totally. So like taking a podcast, turning it into a blog post, taking a blog post, having that be the topic for, you know, a fireside chat. You know, I mean, there's a million ways to do that, right? Take a blog post, use the H2s, turn it into a Twitter thread. So I think there's just so many ways to do that. And I think that's a really great point you bring up that it's like, it's not just like, cut content, right? It's not Mm -hmm. just kind of editing it down into smaller chunks. It's completely finding a new format that might resonate with a totally different audience you couldn't have captured before. Yep. Okay. So my third one, I'm going to go heavy into media geek here. Ooh, let's do it. I'll try not to make your eyes glaze over because I know sometimes when I go deep into it, you're like, what? Math? Numbers? (laughs) We don't need to do no math. Don't need no stinking math. I feel like the third thing that people really need to look at, and this gets lost because people just look at the end result. So like when we run lead gen and media, people look at like, well, what was, you know, the cost per lead or what was the cost per qualified lead, right? Like if you're using a, you know, a quality question and that's a very bottom line number and there's nothing wrong with that, but it can sometimes discount what makes those numbers are higher or lower. And a lot of that choice can be buried in the cost of the media itself. So For example, if you run video on Facebook, it's exponentially usually more expensive than static imagery. And if you do something where you're driving people off Facebook, the CPMs are going to be more than if you run it and do something, you you know, are looking for an action that keeps them on it. Okay. So because those costs are more, you need the conversion rate to be higher to make the math work, right? So like, let's take an example of a lead gen campaign. You have a version of it where they are on Facebook and they can submit their information on a lead gen form there, or you run it against a 
website traffic campaign where they have to click off, go to the website and fill out the form. Most times that campaign driving them to the website is going to be a much higher CPM. Facebook doesn't like you to take people off the platform, so they charge yeah. for it. So it's easy to look at it and say, oh, well, the conversion rate's better on Facebook because they don't have to leave the platform. That's true. But I don't see enough places look at the base cost of just those two types of campaigns because they're very different. So a lot of times people will beat their heads against the wall saying, I'm trying to get, you know, I want it to be as as efficient as it is to keep them on Facebook. And it's like, but it may never be because mm -hmm. if, if the CPM is three times as much to drive them to the site, you have to convert three times as well to make that math work. And so many places don't look at that. It's like, they're trying to look at the things that they can control, which I commend. I mean, it's like, yes, maximize everything you can, like maximize click through rate, maximize conversion rate, all that stuff. But there are just things that exist that it's just the way they are. And if you ignore those, you're going to drive yourself insane trying to get the same results from those two things. And so I feel like the cost, the base cost of running those, no matter how efficient you make them, places have to get honest with themselves about well, whether that'll ever work. You know, and I see that a lot, even like with LinkedIn ads. I mean, it's like a $90 CPM, right? Yeah. So it's like to make that work, you have to hit this when it comes to conversion rate for qualified people. It's like you need to understand that math. And use that math when you're looking at results, when you test different targeting types on these platforms, it's like, is it ever realistic? If I know that I want to get, you know, this cost per qualified lead with this CPM at what I'm doing now, are we even on the same planet? It's like, I've seen ones on like, if the CPM you're paying, you'd have to have like a 50% conversion rate to make this work. Yeah. Have you ever gotten that? You just <laughs> stare at me and I'm like, I'm sorry. I know this isn't what you want to hear, but like, this is math. If this is not emotion. This is just simple math. And it's like, unless right. you can... You know, I mean, there are, and there are times where it's like the CPM will come down. Yes. But like, is it ever going to drop by 50%? Probably not. You know, so I feel like that's the other metric that a lot of people just don't measure because like, well, I don't have any control over that. It's like, but you have control over whether you run that type of campaign or not. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like you do have control when it comes to that. So I think that's the, that's my third one is just taking a good hard look at the, the campaign types you're running to see if the math is ever going to be realistic for you. This might be a dumb question. I don't know, but I'm not a media brain. Would I look at to know if it's like, would you look at like your, your top performer or like your average performer to be like, okay, I could get in the ballpark of that. You can just, I mean, you can add the column. Yeah. You can add the column for CPM and it'll show you the cost. And so what I would say to do is like, look at where the lowest and look at where the highest is. Mm. And it's like, what's the disparity in those two things. Right. And if it's, you know, like one of the things that you and I ran into was the on-site submissions for Facebook, the quality was lower, but the CPM was so cheap. It didn't matter. I mean, it was okay. like, yeah, you know, it was, yeah. it was like, we had like an $8 and 50 cent cost per lead or something. And our, the CPM was like, I forget. It was like a 20th of what we were paying on LinkedIn. So it's like on LinkedIn, the submissions were more the customer we wanted, but it cost so much more that it was like, we could spend less on Facebook, get more qualified leads, even though it's just because the cost was so small, yeah. you know, it's like, it's to okay. reach the people was so cheap. Sense. Yeah. So it's just, it's kind of looking at that to figure it out. Like if we bumped them up to each other, we knew like LinkedIn is never going to produce what Facebook does because the CPM was $110. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I want to say it was like, 21 on Facebook or 19 on Facebook. It was something so low. I'm like, there's no way unless yeah. we can you just get keep funneling money there. You're still going to get the number of qualified leads you want. Yeah. 
it's like you'll see some erosion like with Facebook where it's like, you know, you'll scale to a point where it'll start getting really sloppy and you'll just get, you'll get, it'll spend the money, but you'll mostly just get a lot more crap. You won't see that proportion get better. And then you're like, okay, we've hit diminishing returns. It is what it is. Like, it's just not going to reach anybody else. Yeah. But the, sometimes those disparities are just so large. It's like, I can't justify, you know, LinkedIn was good for us for certain things. Right. But not for like newsletter collection because of that cost differential. Yeah. So that was my thing. Interesting. I love it. Maths. That's fun. (laughs) And metrics, numbers. I also will say like numbers are scary sometimes. Like it took me a really good long time to feel comfortable with the metrics. And even now, like I have to ask people like this is in our dashboard. So it feels very important. But can someone tell me like, I know what the numbers say, but like, what does it actually mean? Yeah. Like also don't be afraid to like, just ask that. Cause I think. I totally agree. It's, it's hard sometimes with media buying because a lot of the reports I see, there isn't a lot of analysis. So it's like, when I start working with a company, they'll send me all these dashboards of numbers. And it's like, I can look at it and spot trends, but it might not be immediately evident to me why that's happening. So one of the things I usually ask for is like, I need to know any background of pixel breaking. If you changed your website, like I need to know any of those things that are, I don't, that I will not see. Yeah. Platform that is driving the numbers we're seeing here, right? I like because yeah. not that stuff's not going to be obvious to me, and that's what can make the analysis hard. Is that I could look in the media platform and be like, oh, well, it seems like it's happening because this and this, and they're like, oh no, actually, we changed what we were counting as a conversion. It's like, oh, <laughs> okay, yeah. that's so, good information to know. Yes, good to know. Yeah. So yeah, I think that there's definitely that piece of it too. But it's even as a media buyer, I have to ask for context. You know, it's hard to, and there's really no good reporting where it's like you can show the numbers and the graphs and have all the context there. It's just, it's hard to do that in a report. So definitely ask the question. Yeah. And like you go to a new company or like, you know, maybe you're freelancing or whatever. And like everyone has different acronyms for things. And, you know, the threshold for like a qualified lead might be, is going to be different, different places. So it's like, you have to ask those questions so that you know what the numbers are telling you. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And just kind of take some time to figure it out. Yeah. Well, we just get, yeah. That's marketing, baby. Marketing, baby. <laughs> I beat you. <laughs> Got you that time. That was well, good, though. That, that was like almost in sync. I know. Well, we we were in sync earlier and we cursed at the same time, but we didn't record that part. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's we gave you we gave you all six things to be looking at. So you should be yeah. very busy on the metrics measurement side. So I think that was all we had for this week. And that's it. That's it. We will see you next week. Have a great week, marketers. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of That's Marketing, Baby. Like what you heard? Please give us some love with a review. And don't forget to hop into our community list at thatsmarketingbaby.com to get more helpful tips, resources, and thoughts from us. See you next week.